brother Dave Callahan, and you're listening to the Navishet for lay people in the world looking to grow in holiness. As you may know, I'm a member of a religious order, the Missionaries of God's Love, and we spend a lot of time talking about God's love because we're missionaries of God's love. Over the years, I've have occasionally had people criticize us, saying that we talk too much about love and mercy and not enough about sin, and that we really need to start to tell people to repent of their sin, turn away from evil, and be good. And I've often found this just interesting, because the traditional approach to spirituality has often started with sin, and then the message of God's love has been tucked away at the end, after we've already scared people with hell. And yet when you look at the the writings of the great spiritual masters, particularly the doctors of the church, all of them start with love. And it's this idea that if you can understand the love of God first, really understand the mystery of what it means to be loved, sin will not be an issue. It will just start to disappear from your life. And I think there is something very much at the heart of this in the writings of St. Paul. If you read the letters of St. Paul, you'll know that he has regular battles with various unseen people about whether we should be following the law or whether we should be following grace. And this is something which, as Christians, we, we talk about, but whether we actually understand is a whole different thing. So maybe just to try and explain something of the difference between the law and grace. The whole idea of the law is that you're given a whole pile of rules to follow. But it's not just the rules that make you become good. It's the shame that is wrapped around what happens if you break the rules. You see, the law only works if the whole of the society is keeping the law and keeping everybody else to keep the law. You know, so this is where you will avoid getting into some adulterous relationship because it will bring a bad name to your family. This is where you would never dream of committing murder because you know that society will shun you and your family name will be, you know, destroyed forever. You see, the law doesn't change our desire, but it does change our behavior. You may not murder, but it doesn't necessarily stop you from wanting to murder. You may have never committed adultery, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you haven't wanted to. And this is the limitation that St. Paul was trying to point out, that the law can only change me externally. It can't actually change me on the inside. And this is where he tried to bring in a whole different understanding of the healing and transforming power of grace. Now, grace is one of these church words that gets used very often and gets explained very rarely. So let me try my best to explain my understanding of what St. Paul means by grace. Maybe the best way to start here is to talk about the ways that different people will relate 
to mercy. If you think of the development of a human being, a child will obey their parents out of fear. As much as they may love their parents, they know that their parents have power over them. If they're not good, then there'll be no ice cream. And so the obedience is really an obedience of fear. I will do what I know I should do because I'm afraid of the punishment and I'm looking forward to the reward. Now, you jump another 10 years later, by the time that child is now 15 years old and they've heard enough empty threats from their parents that have never been acted on. And so at this point, they start to take the mercy of their parents for granted. Their parents will say, you have to be home on time, otherwise we're going to disown you. And the child knows, you can't disown me. You're just going to forgive me and move on. And so this is where there's almost an arrogance in the heart of the teenager. They take mercy for granted. They don't really care about what their parents' feelings are towards them. Their parents are simply there just to give them money and feed them and move on. You would hope that by the time the teenager becomes an adult, their way of understanding love has changed dramatically. The ideal, and once again, this is not always actually achieved, the ideal is that by the time they get to the point of marriage, they start to recognize that this other person who wants to marry me loves me so much to the point that they are laying their life down for me. And I love them so much that the greatest pain I could ever experience is to see them hurt. And so, therefore, my response to love is that I never want to do anything which will let this person get hurt. And this is why when people take their marriage vows, they simply vow to love each other. There's a whole pile of things that are necessary for marriage which are not mentioned in the marriage vows. I've never celebrated a marriage where the people have stood up and vowed to wash the dog and clean the car and do the dishes and pay the bills and work hard every day to fund the family and not insult their in-laws. These things are just presumed because the expectation is that, that if you have truly become mature enough to recognize the love of your spouse, then you will do everything in your power to make sure that they don't get hurt. Now, as I say, all of us have varying successes and failures in that regard. But that's the ideal. And maybe that's the way to try to understand this mystery of God's love in relationship to sin. You see, because when we begin the journey, we very much begin in that child relationship of fear. I will follow the commandments because I'm afraid of going to hell and I want to get to heaven. It's all about punishment and reward. The great reaction, and I think this is what's behind the reaction I've heard when people hear us preach about the love of God, is this sense that if you tell people so much about God's mercy, they'll just take it for granted. They will believe that they can sin and behave however they want without ever actually changing. 
And that, that is a very genuine concern because it speaks of the fact that a lot of Christians are really like spiritual teenagers. We, we have this almost arrogant confidence in the love of God, but there's actually no relationship. God is just like the bank of dad, just there to give us money and give us food and give us blessings. And beyond that, we don't care. And yet what Jesus is calling us to and what St. Paul is calling us to when he speaks about this mystery of grace is that we are meant to engage with the love of God like adults, like a marriage, that we are meant to gaze upon the cross and see how much God has loved us, be so deeply moved by that love that we would never want to do anything which would pain the heart of God. And this is why St. Paul says that grace brings real transformation. It doesn't just focus on my external behaviours, but it starts to transform the heart. I start to lose my desire for sin because my greatest desire is the love of Christ. If the whole purpose of my life is to still live for me, for my self-glorification, for my self-gratification, then I'm going to be acting like a teenager. And I'm going to live in this constant battle against sin, constantly asking God's mercy, but then going back to run into the mud again. We need to become adults. And, and this is why throughout the letters of St. Paul, he keeps saying, we need to become fully mature in Christ. We need to push away our childish behaviors, the ways that we used to think like children and act like children and start to think like adults. As he, he echoes that sentiment in that beautiful passage in 1 Corinthians 13. We need to recognize that if Christ has pursued us with a a love almost like a marriage, wanting to be united with us so deeply and so intimately that we would be prepared to actually hand over the whole of our life and walk away from everything that would ever damage that relationship. The final point to realize about grace is that it makes us safe. And this, once again, is what St. Paul was trying to suggest, that it's when we know how much we are loved, it's only then that we can actually be truly honest about our sin. If I don't feel safe before God, if I'm, if I'm afraid of being sent to hell, I'm always going to be holding back and hiding. In the same way that Adam and Eve hid in the garden, we're always hiding from God. Whereas St. Paul is trying to say to us, if you truly knew the love of God, you would be able to stand before God without shame, without fear, and to be able to say, Lord, here I am in my absolute brokenness, in my mess, in all the destruction I've caused to relationships. Please love me back to life. Please heal me. So this is the great journey that we need to go on from the law to grace. In the letter to the Galatians, in chapter 3, St. Paul says that the law was our guardian. He uses this, this Greek word, pedagogos, which basically means the, the person assigned to a child 
to make sure they don't get hurt or they don't get into trouble. But once the child becomes an adult, they no longer need the guardian. So it's very true that in the early part of our life, in our spiritual journey, we do need the law. We need the commandments. We need people teaching us how to avoid getting hurt in the fire of sin. But that's not the only part of the story. There is a maturity that needs to take place where we start to engage with the love of God as adults. And we're able to now stand in the truth of our need for the the spiritual doctor to heal us of all of our sin. So I simply encourage you just to reflect on where you're currently at in your journey. Would you say that you are like the child afraid, the teenager who's arrogant, or the adult who gazes upon the one who loves you so much and is so deeply moved that you want to change your life so that you never hurt them ever again?